Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, We will begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 and read through uh, chapter 2 verse 5. Paul is opening his letter to the church of Corinth. Uh, Paul spent time in Athens. He gave the great speech in Athens to the philosophers there and uh, gained uh, what we're told is less than a handful of converts. And then he went to the to the to the city of Corinth, which was a combination of a college town and a port city and um, preached the message there and established a large church in Corinth, which had its problems, probably at least 20 problems that Paul deals with in the book of First Corinthians. In our passage today in First Corinthians one, Paul is comparing the wisdom of Christ to the wisdom of God to the wisdom of the world. And so today uh, we hear these words for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God for it is written. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much, much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Let us pray. God and Father above, my temptation is to rely upon my eloquence, as, as, as that may be. And yet I'm reminded here by Paul that I should, remind, I should rely merely upon the foolishness of the gospel to preach Jesus and him crucified. So as I preach today, may that be my message, the foolishness of God. 
which is counter to the strength and the wisdom of the world. May we all be changed through what is spoken of today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our question today is, why did God make the Bible so hard to understand? Or, why didn't God make the Bible easier for us to read? And brothers and sisters, we have to love Peter. Peter was so forthright in what he said. If you think back to Peter in the Gospels, he was always there. Whenever Jesus said something, he was right there standing up to say, I'll take care of that. Or, may that never happen. Or, I definitely will not ever deny you. Peter is direct. Now, after the Spirit came upon the disciples at Pentecost, we see Peter's directness strengthened and honed as a force for the gospel. But Peter is direct, even in his letter to the persecuted church. As he's calling them, as he's talking to them in 2 Peter chapter 3 about how to live, about how to pursue godliness, he encourages them to read salvation as it's presented in the letters of Paul. And then in the midst of his exhortation to consider the letters of Paul, he stops and he says, but you know what? Paul can be difficult to understand at places. Paul was a highly educated man that God used to bring the gospel to the educated and uneducated alike, the rich and the poor, the slave and the free throughout the known world of his time. But many of what many of the letters that Paul wrote can be difficult to understand, can be difficult to parse out, to to find the meaning of as we read through it, as we seek to do what Peter commanded us to do. So why did God give us a word, not only Paul's letters, but much of the rest of the Old and New Testament? Why would Paul, why would God give us a word that is so difficult to understand? Why didn't he just give us something that everyone can easily understand? So today, as we seek to answer that question, we're going to look at the incomprehensibility of God. We're going to look at why do we struggle to understand God's words? And then finally, how to study or to find better understanding of God's word. First, the incomprehensibility of God. Now, this question begins, as many questions do about God, about things that happen in his word and in the world with the with the word. Why? Now, why did God do certain things? That's a question as old as humanity. It's a question that Job asked in his sufferings. But it's a question that oftentimes comes with two different answers. The first answer is what I mentioned. It's the incomprehensibility of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans. One of those letters of Paul, one of those letters of Paul that is difficult to read and to understand. As Paul lays out his case in the first two chapters, we're going to be in read the last few verses of Romans 11. So as you're turning, turn to Romans 11. Understand that in the first two chapters, Paul lays out the fact that everybody needs the gospel, both both the pagan and the religious. He lays out how that gospel works through the doctrine of justification, through God's choosing of people. And then he begins to apply that message to Israel. And Israel's unbelief. And as he's wrapping up this section on Israel's unbelief and Israel's salvation, he breaks out into praise. And what does he praise God for? Well, beginning in verse 33 of Romans 11, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So the answer to why is that he is God. The first answer to why is that he is God. And we are included in the question who has ever given to God? Who has ever known the mind of the Lord? Or who has ever been his counselor? The unspoken answer to that question is no one. See, God is knowable. He has revealed himself to us in his creation and excuse me, and in his word. But God in his knowability is also incomprehensible. He is infinite, eternal and unchangeable and our minds cannot grasp that. As we talked about the doctrine of incomprehensibility last Sunday in the Sunday evening Bible study, somebody brought up and said, it amazes me. That we will have all of eternity to get to know God. And yet that won't be long enough. We will never plumb the depths of the knowledge of God. He is infinite. We are finite. He has no beginning or no end. We were brought into existence. And although we will live eternally, we are still finite beings. When we ask why, sometimes the answer is because God is God and we are not. Sometimes the answer is, as Job found out, Job, Job didn't just get a handful of questions as we have here in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. If you read the last several chapters of Job, you will see that he got 40, at least 40 questions from God saying, I will answer your question as to why you are suffering. If you can tell me, were you there when I designed the horse? Were you there when I put the boundaries to the sea? Were you there when I just when I designed the other animals and all of creation? Did you help me with creation? God asked Job. And so we see the incomprehensibility of God in asking why. But the second thing we see as we ask why of God is that he does all things for his glory, for his honor For his glory alone. Here here, as I read Isaiah 48 verses 9 through 11. This is Isaiah 48 verses 9 through 11. For my own name's sake I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise I hold it back from you. So as not to cut you off. See I have refined you though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own name's sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God here through Isaiah is answering the question, why have you delayed your wrath against the unrighteous? And God says, I have done that for my own glory. So one answer to the question of why is We ultimately can't answer that question beyond saying that God has done it for his own glory. Now, this doesn't mean the incomprehensibility of God doesn't mean we shouldn't seek to know God more. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek 
to go to God with some of the questions we have, even the why questions. It just means that we need to go understanding that God may not answer us beyond the answer. I do this for my glory and for my honor. So the the when we ask why we need to understand that God is on incomprehensible and he does things for his own glory and for his own honor. And so if you'll allow me, I'd like to rephrase the question, not necessarily why did God make the Bible so difficult to read? But why do we struggle to understand God's word? Why do we as human beings struggle to understand a word that God has given to us in our own language? Using metaphors and rhetorical devices that humans use on a daily basis. Why is it so difficult for us to understand the word? I think there's once again two answers to the question. The first answer comes from our passage from Corinthians today is that the foolishness of God, the wisdom of God, excuse me, is foolishness to the world. See, Paul contrasts the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. The world seeks wisdom from science, from philosophy, from mathematics, from academics, from art, from all of these systems that man has created. Man seeks wisdom from himself or herself. Man looks to the created order and tries to develop systems of how to deal with life, of how to navigate through the joys and difficulties of this world and how to live life well. And if we look only to this world to develop systems of life, systems of philosophy, we forget God. Think of all the other religions out there. What is the means to salvation in all other religions? It's me. It's my own work. It's my own pursuit of my own righteousness. It's my own seeking to deal with life well so that I can be stoic and even in my responses to the difficulties and joys of this world. It's seeking a set of rules to live by so that I can define righteousness and stand before whatever creator may be out there and say, look, this is how good I am. I am good by my own definition. You must accept me. That's the wisdom of the world. But God answers that with what the world sees to be foolishness, which is you aren't good enough. You never can respond well enough to the joys and difficulties of this world to where I will accept you. And so I will provide the means of salvation through the cross. And for those who have not embraced the cross. For those who have not stood before God convicted of their sinfulness and their need, their deservingness of judgment. And said, my only hope is in the cross. My only hope for reconciliation is outside of myself and through the work of God. For people who have not done this. This is foolishness. This is in many ways indecipherable. Brothers and sisters, if you struggle with understanding the word, you may need to ask yourself a very difficult question. Pains me to have to say that. Believe me, 
It pains me to have to say that, but you may need to ask yourself that question. Do I believe? The second answer to why this is so difficult comes from life and common sense. How many of you ever graduated from something? High school, college, graduate school, kindergarten. How many of you have graduated from something? How many of you in pursuit of that diploma said, you know what? I'm just horrible at math. I'm horrible at English. I'm horrible at science. I'm horrible at art. Maybe I'm horrible at all the above. I don't know. But how many of you, those things that you didn't understand, those subjects in school that you didn't understand, you knew that you had to graduate. You knew what the goal was, that you had to get a certain grade in these classes and these subjects to graduate. And so you buckled down. Hopefully you buckled down. Hopefully you didn't just look over on your neighbor's paper every chance you got or purchase a paper online or, you know, from your buddy, however it works. Hopefully you buckled down, you studied and you did what was necessary to get the grade in the subject you struggled with to graduate. If we are willing to put in the work, the hard work sometimes to understand things that are difficult outside of the scriptures. Are we willing to put in the hard work to study and to understand the word of God? I think many times, at least in my own life, I pick this up in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening, whatever it is I decide to do that day, my personal Bible study. And I read, I read it like I would read a fiction book. I read it like I would read something that I'm just reading to relax. I read it to hear, but not to understand. And I think many times The reason the Bible is so difficult for us to understand is because we read it in that way. Just like school or training or or learning a trade or a skill, we have to apply ourselves to the study of the word of God. God doesn't just download everything we need. It brings him more glory to see us desire to work hard to get to know him. Think of your best friend. Did you just all of a sudden fall in love with your best friend? Did you all of a sudden just develop this great friendship that was unbreakable throughout eternity with your best friend? No, you worked at it, didn't you? Because you had those areas where you rubbed up against each other. You had those areas where you butted heads. You had those areas where, goodness, he likes this musical group that I just don't understand. I need to tell Scott sometimes that I like him now, too. But anyway, we work at it, don't we? Just as we work at developing relationships with each other and getting to know each other, we have to work at getting to know God. And that comes through the study of God's word. God is incomprehensible. Sometimes we start struggle to understand God's word because our heart is not right with God or because we're not willing to do the work. And so assuming that your heart is right with God, I want us to give us I want to give us some under some steps in growing and understanding of God's word. Should I see I should not have prayed about my eloquent words. First, here are some here are some steps to growing and understanding of God's word. First, pray. I implore you, I encourage you this week 
to read through Psalm 119. And as you're reading it, count how many times the psalmist says or asks God to teach him or instruct him in the law. If an inspired biblical author needed to pray to God to instruct him in the law, how much more should you or I ask? And it's as simple as sitting down whatever time of the day you do your Bible reading and saying, God, help me understand this. That's it. Amen. And then start your reading, expecting God to help you understand that. Because if you have embraced Jesus as your savior, if you have embraced the foolishness of God, you have the spirit within you that will help illuminate the passage. Secondly, read for understanding. Think about classes that you have taken. Think about books or documents that you have read for classes because you want to learn something new. How do you read those books? First off, sit there with a pencil in your hand as you read the scriptures. As God points something out to you, circle it or write it down. Have a notebook there with you with your pencil. Or even in the English Standard Version published by Crossway, they have journaling Bibles that has at least an inch in each margin where you can write down things that you see within the scriptures, things that God points out on you. Another way to read for understanding is to go back to your elementary English grammar days and start diagramming sentences that you don't understand. Now, I know that is tough and difficult and we uh, every single one of us hated it. Except for the crazy people. Sorry, if you're one of those people, I apologize. I apologize for insulting you. I'm not not apologizing that you're one of those people. But anyway, if you don't want to diagram the sentence, at least ask questions of it. What's the subject of the sentence? So verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 18. Where is the wise man? What would be the subject of the sentence? Where is the wise man? Man. All right. What describes wise man? Wise. What's the verb of the sentence? Well, in that particular sentence, it's a it's a the verb is is is. And so how do those two things relate? If it's an action verb, what object is that action being done to? Not only what what subject is doing the action, but what object is having that action done to it? What are the other words in the sentence doing? Read for understanding. And then thirdly, ask questions of the passage that you read. The first question you should ask is, what does this passage teach me about God? What does this passage teach me about God? If the Bible is God's revelation of himself, of his work, of his plan for salvation to us, We need to be asking ourselves as we read this, what does this teach me about God? This is his revelation to us of who he is and what he has done. Every page, every word teaches us something about God. And yes, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult in some of those passages to see what that thing is. The Bible is not one 
form of literature. It is prophecy. It is history. It is poetry. It is gospel. It is a letter. It is apocalyptic prophecy. And so part of, uh, actually this should have been under reading for understanding, but part of this is maybe getting a sense of what those different types of literature are and understanding what you're reading. But what does this passage teach me about God? Then look at that passage and say, what does this teach me about myself? John Calvin says, the more we want to know about God, we have to know about ourselves. And the more we want to know about ourselves, we also have to know about God. It's a it's an almost symbiotic relationship between the two. The more we know about ourselves, the more we can learn about God. The more we learn about God, the more we know about ourselves. And so what does this passage tell me about myself? Sometimes the passage may tell me I need to repent. Sometimes the passage may tell me that I can have assurance in times of doubt. Sometimes the passage reminds me that I am a rebel against God. And so after we have asked ourselves, what does this passage teach me about God? What does this passage teach me about myself? How does Jesus bridge the gap? How does Jesus, hopefully as we compare what a passage teaches us about God to what a passage teaches us about ourselves, we will see how far short we fall. Of God and his commands and his will for our lives. And so we must ask ourselves, how does Jesus bridge the gap between me and God? What does this passage teach me about God? What does this passage teach me about myself? How does Jesus bridge the gap? Now, this is just one way to begin to ask questions about the scripture there are plenty of other resources out there, which if you would like some uh, recommendations, please feel free to ask me recommendations on the different types of literature within the scriptures, recommendations on what the words mean, recommendations, those types of things. Actually, one other thing just popped into my mind that I should have had there is read with a dictionary next to your Bible. You can have it on your phone or you can have a hard copy dictionary, um, whichever works best. For you. So in conclusion, God is incomprehensible. While while why questions are acceptable, as long as we take them directly to God, we need to be careful when we ask why of God, keeping in mind that he is incomprehensible, keeping in mind that as God, he does not we he does not have to give us an answer beyond. I do this for my own sake, for my own glory, for my own praise. Secondly, Do you believe what the Bible teaches us about God, about ourselves and about salvation? And thirdly, study the word, pray, read for understanding and ask questions of the words that you have read. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that we are not alone when we study your word. We thank you that he is there to illuminate for us. And yet you have called us to do the work of seeking understanding. Help us to make sure as we read the scriptures that we are right with you and help us to do the work of understanding your word and seeking understanding of you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.